I am Aaron Gittleman from Localize.City, and this is a very special episode of My First Apartment. As a native New Yorker, I'm fascinated by people's first experiences in this city and their story of making New York feel like home. Today, we have the Speaker of New York City Council, Corey Johnson. Thanks so much for joining us, Corey. Thanks for having me. For those listening and not aware, Corey runs the New York City Council, which means he's overseen a lot of different projects. One of the big things you've worked on is the um, reduced fare metro cards. Yeah, it's a program called Fair Fares, and we secured it in June of 2018 in my first six months as speaker. It allows uh, people living in poverty to get half price metro cards. How many of us have seen uh, a young mother begging for a swipe to get on the subways in the morning? And so there are about 800,000 New Yorkers who are living below the federal poverty line. We secured over $100 million in the budget to actually reduce people's subway fares by half. And so they can get a single ride, a weekly ride, a monthly ride for half of what it typically costs. We know that transit is the lifeblood of New York City. And if you can't get around, you don't really have an opportunity to be part of New York. And so I'm really, really proud that the City Council, in conjunction with advocates like the Riders Alliance and the Community Service Society, we're able to get this done. It's called Fair Fairs. Google it. It's Fair, F-A-I-R, Fairs, F-A-R-E-S. Really exciting, important program. We're the largest city in the United States who are now, who was now doing a program like this. That's amazing. And we're not going to necessarily talk about this. My dream is for fairs on the New York City subway to be like the Metropolitan Museum of Art, where it's free for people from the city, $20 for people visiting. I've called for municipal control of our subways and buses, and the only way we have a chance at being more creative about what the subway fare is, is if we take it out of the hands of Albany and we basically blow up the MTA and have municipal control of the subways and buses. I later plan how to do that and to move towards having a more rational fare payment system. That's what we need to do. I I love that. So let's jump right into your first apartment story. So you've talked a lot about um, your experiences. You moved to New York at 19. You had, I, I actually went to George Washington myself. Oh. Um, what was the last class you took before you decided college was not the right move? Oh, I don't remember. I was there for maybe six, seven weeks. And then I dropped out, came to New York City. I was actually living in New York before I went to GW. Oh. I moved to New York in May of 2001. And I went to GW in August of 2001. I only lasted until October. And then came back to New York City. Uh, so I only spent a short amount of time at GW. All right. Well, um, I think you learned enough um, <laughs> during your experiences there. So your first apartment in New York, was that after your experience at GW? or No. When I came here in May of 2001, I ended up staying for a couple of months in someone's extra room in an apartment on Great Jones Street at the corner of Great Jones and Broadway. And then I ended up living for six weeks, if few blocks from there, I think it was illegal. I was living in a uh, NYU dorm and I wasn't an NYU student. I was living in, I think it was, 
It was the dorm over on Third Avenue uh, near uh, the little triangle that's right there. Yes. And I was living in that in that dorm on the top floor of the dorm. I had a great view. <laughs> I was only there for about a month and a half. Uh, and then I went down to GW, spent a few weeks, a month and a half there, came back to New York, and I ended up moving to Jackson Heights. And I was in Jackson Heights for about six months. Uh, and then I just bopped around. I lived in Park Slope for a little while. Uh, I lived in different apartments in Chelsea. And now the block that I'm on now, which is 15th Street between 7th and 8th Avenues in Chelsea, I've been on my block since May 1st, 2003. I've been on my block oh, wow. for 16 and a half years. I did about, I don't know, eight different apartments in two years in New York City, but I've been on my block now for, I don't know, almost half of my, you know, 60% of my life at this point, which is crazy. Yeah. So when you were like bouncing around apartments, how did you find apartments? Was this, was Craigslist around you? It was Craigslist. It was actually, uh, there were like, community bulletin boards in Chelsea where you would go and there would be just apartment listings with a thumbtack on a piece of paper and you'd pull the little sheet of paper off with the telephone number and the name and you'd call people. So I lived in this apartment on 22nd Street between 9th and 10th Avenue. And if folks don't know it, it's one of the most beautiful blocks, I think, in New York City and in Chelsea uh, next to Clement Clark Moore Park. Clement Clark Moore is very famous because he wrote the book Twas the Night Before Christmas, the poem was the night before Christmas, and he used to own all of West Chelsea uh, back in the 1800s. The General Theological Seminary, which is a big seminary that takes up an entire block uh, in West Chelsea, was granted to the seminary by Clement Clark Moore when he died in the 1800s. So I lived in a walk-up building right next to Clement Clark Moore Park on that beautiful little block. I lived with a pianist, and I lived basically in a foyer. There wasn't even a real room. Uh, there were like French doors that shut and his name was uh, Kirk and he would play the piano all night long. I was only in that apartment for uh, about six months and I went from that apartment to my first apartment on 15th Street. I'm now in my third apartment on the same block on 15th Street, which is kind of very New York. You love the block that you find, <laughs> you don't want to leave and then you end up moving to other apartments on that very block. So so that first apartment, uh, May 2001, that was Great Jones Street, you Great said? Jones. And I was, I, it was a very, very nice apartment. It was someone who had an entire penthouse on the top floor of the building, the GNC. There used to be a GNC on the ground floor retail. It might still be there at the corner of Great Jones and Broadway. And they had an extra little tiny guest bedroom. And I stayed with them for about two months. And, you know, I felt like I was living large. I was in this penthouse loft apartment. And right above the apartment was an entire garden on the rooftop. And it was a private garden on the rooftop, which was the length of the entire building. So they had the penthouse and they had on top of the penthouse as a garden with a little tiny pool on it. It was like a pool. It was like a hot tub, but it was a cold pool. Uh, and so there was beautiful flowers and, and, and a garden up there. So that was my first apartment. It was only two months. It's the nicest apartment I've ever lived in. And it was in my first two months in New York city. Oh my God. Do, do the people you lived with still live there? No, they were a couple 
who divorced, uh, and I don't know who ended up getting the apartment okay. in the divorce. Let's. I'm gonna pull up what what was the address there, if you don't mind me pulling it up on localized. Oh, I, I don't know. It's the building that's at the corner of Great Jones and Broadway. So you'll look that up, but it's on the it's on the southeast corner of Great Jones and Broadway, right across it faced the NYU uh, law school Mercer dorms. So I used to look into the dorms across Broadway. So like you did not grow up in a luxury penthouse. No, I grew up in public housing. There were 12 units of public housing in the town that I grew up in. There were, we lived in one of those 12 units of public housing from when I was nine years old until I graduated high school at 18 years old. It was a little tiny, less than 5,000 person uh, town, about 30 miles north of Boston. And so uh, I had never been on an airplane before I was 18 years old. I had never been outside of New York City. My family didn't have a lot of money. My mom was my lunch lady at school. My dad was a Pepsi truck driver. And so I had never experienced anything like New York before. But when I visited here, uh, just before I graduated high school, I had just turned 18 years old. Uh, there was something immediate about New York that spoke to me. And I felt, uh, not to sound like in a fairy tale way, but I felt beckoned like to live in New York City. And so I moved here as soon as I could. And uh, I bopped around. And now I've been here for uh, this year is 19 years in New York City. Welcome. So <laughs> half of, literally this year, I'm just remembering it. This year is half of my adult life. So I guess back to when you first moved here. So um, two part, what was it like to, to come to New York as, as a gay man? And was it harder to find housing? Um, or do you, did you feel like there's any discrimination in that space? Or was it easy um, just depending on where you looked? No, I didn't feel, for me, I didn't feel any discrimination because I was mostly, uh, I was living in roommate situations with other gay men. Mm -hmm. So sort of, I was seeking another uh, gay person that had an open room and, and that's, those were my initial living situations. Uh, uh, you know, what was it like to be here? It was like, I felt like Dorothy skipping down the yellow brick road and I made it to Oz. I mean, I was like a kid in a candy store. I mean, I, I was in New York City. I was in the place where the modern gay rights movement was birthed. I now represent the district that the Stonewall Inn is in, the block in Chelsea that Gay Men's Health Crisis was founded on, the LGBT center where ACT UP was founded. I mean, you know, it's one of the greatest cities in the world because of the history here. And as a young gay person, I I just was so excited and happy to actually be able to to move here and to call the city home and to eventually be able to survive here and run for office. You know, um, it, it's sort of a it's a dream come true. So um, we pulled up on localized some information about the first apartment. So kind of the truth you should know. It's a historical district. The road was recently renovated. That sounds nice if I know you don't drive, but um, if you do, the nearby schools rate well. A new middle school just opened. And the local library is being renovated. There's not much dirt on this. So there were no mice when you were living there. There were no, no, no. It was a very, very nice building. <laughs> it was one of the buildings where, when the when the when the elevator door opens up, it opens oh. up into the apartment, oh my God. and it's one apartment per floor. So it was that type of building. So I was living on the top floor for two months. So with, when you were living there, were you cooking a lot? Were there any places you like picked up food from very routinely? You know, I, I always want to be rigorously honest. I am a terrible, terrible cook. 
I barely cook. I do way too much seamless. I The best thing I do in the kitchen is throw something in the microwave. My boyfriend is a very, very, very good cook, like incredible, incredible cook. And so uh, he lives in Williamsburg. And, uh, you know, when, when I'm staying at his place, he cooks a lot. When I'm staying at my place, it is almost always caviar or seamless on my iPhone. So when you were living there back in 2001, what were like your go-to? Or even when you moved to 15th oh, Street, like what know, was, what was, because Seamless wasn't around in 03. On that block is this New York institution, which is this restaurant called Acme. And mm-hmm. it's been there forever. Is that the, the smoked fish? No. No, that's a, a different Acme. It's a different Acme. The Acme on Great Jones Street is uh, very well known for its meatloaf. It's like famous meatloaf. There was that. There was the. Uh, there was this beautiful restaurant, I believe. I'm, I'm forgetting the name of it. Right on the corner of Great Jones and Lafayette, and there was this amazing, amazing, amazing diner, right at the corner of uh, Great Jones and Lafayette on the southeast corner, and it was literally a diner cart on an empty lot. It was like those old diner cars on an empty lot. It was called the Great Jones Diner, and it only had 15 seats in side and it must have been transported from somewhere else in the country and literally brought and sat on this basically empty lot. It only lasted there a couple of years when I moved to New York City and now there's a gigantic, you know, luxury, uh, bad looking, uh, architecturally ill-designed building where that beautiful car diner used to be. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have a lot of money. You know, I oh, was yeah. like scraping by. I would like, you know, I still go to some of the places that I used to go to. One of my favorite places in the East Village in that area uh, is on uh, St. Mark's Place called uh, Dumpling Man. Um, and so I go over there. That's a great place. Uh, there's a lot of great places that, I mean, one of the places that wasn't there back then, but I go to when I'm in the East Village is on East 7th Street between First uh, and a, the big gay ice cream shop. Uh, there's one in the West Village. There's one in the East Village. So, the, you know, one of the greatest things about the greatest city in the world is that we have the best food. Uh, yeah. And you can find affordable food depending on where in the city you go, especially outside of Manhattan. You go to Flushing, you have the, literally the best uh, Chinese food in the world, and it's the most affordable food you know, in the city of New York. You go to the North Shore of Staten Island, you have amazing Sri Lankan food. You go to uh, Bay Ridge, you have the best Italian food. The other night... I was craving uh, a square slice of pizza from Ellen B. Spumoni Gardens in Bensonhurst. So I went out to Ellen B. Spumoni Gardens over the weekend and uh, don't tell my boyfriend, but I got three square slices. He's in Argentina right now. Uh, <laughs> I got three square slices of pizza. So, you know, you know, when you, when you move to New York City and you don't have a lot of money, you have to try to figure out a way to survive on very little money. And the way to do that is to find cheap 
good food. And uh, we're having, we have less of that in New York City, sadly, right now, especially in neighborhoods that have gentrified and especially with the retail vacancy crisis that we're seeing uh, all across the city. But, you know, actually, I haven't thought about these things in a very long time. It's like walking down memory lane. It makes me a little nostalgic for those days. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember just down the block here, there was this um, place when I was in high school, Mike's Papaya. And Mike's Papaya, they had this thing called This Week Special. It was every week special. It was two hot dogs, fries, and a drink. And when you put your student discount card, it came out to $4.05. I still go to Gray's Papaya at the corner of 23rd Street and 7th Avenue, the northeast corner of 23rd and 7th. And I think they they have the same special. I think that's that's Chelsea Papaya, right? Chelsea Chelsea. Papaya. Gray's Papaya. Gray's is on 72nd. But they used to have a Gray's... well, there was, is it, what's the papaya at the corner of 14th Street and... First? Yes, and that's, first. That's um, Papaya King, right? <laughs> that's the... Papaya King's the original, Maybe I believe. You could do a podcast just on the papayas. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. Well, or you have all, like, the famous Joe's Pizza. Oh, yeah. Well, well, there's like a million Joe's famous, is one. It's Ray's, I famous think. Famous Ray's, Ray's Pizza. Joe's is one company. Joe's is one. They famous Ray's control. Pizza. Because yeah. they have the Ray's on St. Mark's. That's also a bagel shop. Um, it used to be a Ray's on 6th Avenue and 11th yeah. Street. There was a lot it's of Ray's. It's a middle school on the Upper West Side. And there were like two Ray's, one on like 83rd and one on 80th. And like depending on the day, you would go to one of the two Where of them. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Riverdale myself. Oh, um, so I went to New York City Public Schools. I went to uh, middle school on the Upper West Side. I went to high school downtown. So I've, I've been around and eating food. I'm in Bushwick now. Oh, you're in Bushwick now. Yeah. I, I just had a friend who was at the Hebrew home in Riverdale, Ooh. and so I was going up there to visit him, and I found the, if we have anyone listening in Riverdale, I found the best burger my bubby, place. My bubby's listening. Your bubby's listening. So, yes. Bubby, there is the best burger place called Bronx Burger Joint yes. in Riverdale, and I used to bring, I, about a month ago, I was bringing my friend burgers from the Bronx <laughs> Burger Joint in Riverdale. Nice. This um, is not a food podcast, no. though. It's turned I mean, into one. The story of New York is yes. the story of food. That's yes. what powers us. Yes. Two more questions before we move past the first apartment. So you moved here. You had no money. Were you going out a lot? Like, was like nightlife? Oh, yeah. Could you get into bars at the time when you're 19? I'm not narking on you, by the way. No, I don't think there were a lot of bars that just didn't check IDs. Um, so I used to go out to... Name names now. <laughs> I, I used to go out to this great bar in the East Village called Starlight, uh, which was on Avenue A. There was another great bar on, I think it was East 7th between A and B called Wonder Bar, uh, which then uh, has had many reincarnations since then. It's still a gay bar. Uh, I used to go um, to, uh, there were a bunch of bars in Chelsea that are now closed. So, uh, you know, I got my drinking out of me because I drank way too much. And I, for me, it was ABC, alcohol becomes cocaine. Uh, on my third drink, I became a rat in a maze searching for it. And so I, I drank too much for basically about seven years, from 20 years old until 27, and used too many drugs during those years as well. And at 27 years old, I got sober uh, from drugs and alcohol, which is my biggest accomplishment in life. So on July 3rd, of this year, 2020, I will celebrate 11 years uh, sober from drugs and alcohol. Uh, but I had seven wild, crazy years in New York City, which I think was enough for me. I don't miss it at all. I never even think about drinking. The the last question about housing is, so you came here in 2001. Do you think somebody with your similar experiences without much money could come and move, if not Chelsea, elsewhere in the city and just kind of find their way the way you did? Do you think those opportunities are still open to people? You know, it's hard to know. I think 
it is a lot more difficult than it was back then because the city, I think, is much less affordable. We're in the midst of an affordability crisis. There is a scarcity of housing, especially uh, affordable housing. But there are still, and this is not a good thing, there are still a tremendous number of New Yorkers who are living in poverty and somehow scraping it together to live here, and we need to make life better for them. One of the biggest ways we can do that is by building and preserving affordable housing. We're in the midst of a homelessness crisis, 63,000 people in a Department of Homeless Services shelter. Last night, 7,000 people sleeping unsheltered on the streets of New York city. Uh, that is almost 70,000. And when you add up domestic violence shelters, running homeless youth shelters and HPD shelters, you get close to almost 75,000 people are homeless in New York city. So it has become a lot more difficult to survive in New York city. And we don't want the entry fee, uh, the entry price to getting into New York to be, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in income. You have young people, millennials, I'm a millennial who uh, are, are crushed in student debt, who were not able to get a job after college that helped them deal with that student debt. And so they moved to New York City and they're not able to survive in the same way I probably was in May of 2001. So uh, people are still coming here, uh, but we need to make sure that we improve mass transit, which affects everyone. We build and preserve affordable housing. We improve the schools so families want to be here and we be a place that can support all types of people, especially creative types, actors, artists, musicians, writers, people that don't have traditional jobs, but still make up a really important part of New York City. When I talked to Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, was he talked about kind of the importance for him of buying a home. I guess you're a renter still? or I have been a renter my entire life. I own no property. I don't own a car. I don't own a a home, I don't own an apartment, I don't own... Do you own a bicycle? Uh, I don't own a bike, but I own a cat. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're a cat, yeah, owner. A cat owner. If we truly believe a human can my own an animal... cat really runs my apartment. Have you ever thought about buying? Um, I can't what afford are your... to buy. Okay. Do you think that, like, because I know for at least our parents and grandparents' generation, like, one of the big ways to make it to middle class was you buy a home and the value grows. Um, what Do you think that's the same model I that pay... we're going to experience? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I pay for uh, a small, very small. I, I just moved into a one-bedroom apartment on my block. It's the first one-bedroom I've ever lived in by myself. I had been in a studio. The two other apartments on my block were studios. And I pay for my very tiny one-bedroom apartment, no doorman, nothing fancy about my building. I, I pay twenty nine fifty. $2,950 a month, which is insane. And I feel gross even sort of saying it. I'm not saying it in any way to brag. There's nothing to brag about. I'm saying it because it shows how insane housing prices are in New York City. And it shows, especially in neighborhoods that have gentrified, what the cost is. So if you are someone that is paying that much in rent, it becomes very hard on your own, unless your family's giving you money or unless you inherit money 
or unless you sort of hit the lottery, it becomes hard to save up enough money to actually be able to put a down payment down on an apartment or on a home uh, and actually become a homeowner or an apartment owner in New York City. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think a lot more people are more comfortable with renting than they are with potentially buying. You know, it's a personal decision. It depends on your family size. It depends on your income. It depends on how transient you are. Some people are pretty transient and they don't come to New York and stay here forever. So there's a lot of factors uh, that go into it. But I think what the national trends show are that for people our age in their 20s and 30s, given what we've lived through over the last 15 to 20 years in the economy and what the job market has looked like, it's been a lot more difficult for younger people, especially in big cities, to be able to afford the prices more affordable when you get to the suburbs or you get to potentially rural areas, less affordable if you're in a big city, especially a city that has a housing crisis. New York is in the housing crisis, and you look at what's happening in San Francisco, which is in the midst of a major housing crisis with a lack of housing and the SiliconValley.com boom jacking up the prices. So I know you just moved into a one-bedroom. I heard about an opening. It's government-funded housing. It's going to be open at some point, I think, in 2022 um, on the Upper East Side. Got a, a, <laughs> more more than just one room. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, it, I hear it's spacious. It can you can get direct car access to anywhere you want to go from it. Yes. Do, do you think big that's backyard? The, big backyard. Is that yes. something? Would you love an apartment like that, or would you love a home like that? You know, I. I it, it, it would be uh, crazy and amazing and sort of bizarre to live in Gracie Mansion, but an honor, of course, uh, to be able to serve me mayor. I'll be honest with you. I mean, uh, when I go to friends' apartments who have very nice apartments and they have uh, a huge amount of space, I sort of feel like these apartments are too big. Like, what do you do with all this space? Like, how do you fill this space? I mean, the great thing about Gracie Mansion is that it comes like pre-furnished. So, you know, you don't have to really worry about art or furniture or all the things you would worry about if you were furnishing an apartment uh, or a home in New York City. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's hard to even contemplate that and what that would mean. Yeah, it, um, you luckily know. you have some time. Oh. 